燃え上がれガンダムリ
Um, they're doing a lot of fun Gundam stuff for the 40 year anniversary. Like they're making movies and stuff. So I want to kind of cover that franchise because any franchise that's been going for 40 years, I think most people like I was on the outside are very intimidated by it. So I kind of want to break down what the fuck is Gundam. And then the last thing I want to cover before we go into the episodes is what is the historical context that came about to make Mobile Suit Gundam? Because the story is pretty interesting and Mobile Suit Gundam is not just like a really great anime series, but it's also historically one of the most important um, animes and most influential anime series ever made. So kind of get into some of that, that history of that. And, and so that's why we're only talking about two episodes of the show this time is so that we can kind of cover all that uh, pre-existing information in one episode. Absolutely, and I'll say, having watched the first two episodes today, that's more than enough for a podcast on its fucking own, because yes. those are two really good, that's about as good a start as I've ever seen an anime make. Yeah, so so that, do you have anything else you want to say about like just like first impressions of the first two episodes before we get into the rest of the stuff? It's really good. I mean, if, if I will say this, if you want to follow along with our project, and you, like me, were maybe intimidated by like, this is a big show... With, I mean, the original series is only 43 episodes, but obviously it has been going for 40 years now in yeah. various forms. Uh, it is very accessible to just sit down and watch the first two. You don't need to know anything going in, because yep. it was just the beginning. This didn't start with like a 30-year manga series or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're just, it's, an, it's about, as I said, it's about as good and confident a start. It is ridiculously well animated. Yep. Um, you know, there's a lot of series. Obviously, when you watch anime, you are, you know, kind of prepared for the ups and downs of animation quality. These two, at least, are very high up. Yeah, um, obviously, but, like, obviously it will fluctuate as right. it goes on, as Weekly Anime does. But yeah, they start off really strong. Yeah, and just the character designs, it's all very striking. You can immediately start listing in your head all the things that have been influenced by this. Because, you know, even if you've never watched anime, you have seen the influences of Gundam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all really cool. But it just, it really works on its own. I really enjoyed the characters right off the bat. And, yeah, I mean, two episodes is usually not enough, I would say, for a lot of anime to, like, get a taste for it. This is one where I'm like, okay, I I know I like this, and I know I want to watch more, and I'm not sure what the ultimate, like, story direction will be, Mm -hmm. but that, but, like, I know what it is now, and it's really good and fun to watch. So, again, if you're not watching it, I would, you know, recommend watching along. We're watching on the uh, recent Blu-ray release they did, um, which was a really nice top-to-bottom restoration of the series, and... It is that beautiful, you know, crisp 70s look where it's not too angular. There's like a lot of nice round edges. It's where you can still see a lot of the Disney influence in yeah. and anime because it's, it's it, from that kind of earlier period mm-hmm. for sure. Yes, it is. It is definitely between like 60s where anime is a lot of Disney stuff and the 80s when it really comes into its own style, I think. Yeah. And so tail end of the 70s and it's just a beautiful Blu-ray with like nice grain structure intact and colors and everything. Sounds good. I'm having fun. Got to meet your buddy Shar, who we yeah. know as the voice of Shido in, in Persona, Persona 5, Five. Yeah, which you went on a whole tangent about that. Yeah, now fun. you can now, Jonathan, you can go back and re-listen to whichever episode that was of our Persona Five podcast and figure out why I was so giddy about um, yes. when you see his um, palace design because it's very good. Yes. 
So, yeah, that's my opening salvo. Uh, do we want to tell the listeners you have a Gundam model sitting here on the table? Yes. So, so yeah, I guess that'll be a way to transition for me because um, I do kind of want to... Because I've never really told the story on the podcast of how... I don't think I've ever really told you the whole process of how I got into Gundam. Cause it One just sort day of you were just like, I'm playing this Gundam game. Yes. And it's on my top ten games of the year list randomly. And I'm like, Sean, I didn't even know you were into Gundam. And you're like, I'm really into Gundam, Jonathan. Yeah, so, so that was... Yeah, so the first time for people listening... Listening to the Weekly Stuff podcast, the first time it would have happened was our end of the year podcast for 2016, which is when I just sort of sprung out that, yeah, I have my number 10 game of that year was Gundam Breaker 3. Still stand by that. It's a good fucking game. Um, and yeah, because it was something that I had just been kind of, is one of those things where I didn't know when or how to tell anybody that I just started watching all of Gundam. So I was like, I'm just doing this. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess the, the full... Th- story goes back to way back to, to childhood with like the Toonami stuff because as we talked about on the Weekly Stuff podcast when we talked about Dragon Ball that was a big part of my childhood was watching anime um, on Toonami and it was mostly stuff like Dragon Ball and Yu Yu Hakusho but of course one of the other really popular shows from that period was Gundam Wing um, but I hated Gundam Wing and I never could get into it and that had pushed that experience had pushed me so far away from mecha anime that even when I started to get back into anime proper, once we did like all the started learning Japanese and stuff, I like had always just had this impression of like, eh, mecha anime is like Gundam Wing. It's dumb. I don't get it. Like I don't get why you'd want to see two people in giant robots fight each other when you could just see two superpowered people fight each other in Dragon Ball. It just the concept didn't didn't make sense to me, and I didn't realize until I did all this shit that I, that like Gundam Wing one. Gundam Wing is only good if you're like 15 and watching it. And when I watched it the first time, I was like 11. Then when I watched it the second time, I was like 24. So I, I was on the wrong side of both ends of Gundam Wing. Um, so Gundam Wing, I just don't think is that good of a show and is certainly not representative of Gundam as a whole. Um, uh, which one is Gundam Wing? Is that from that era, the 2000s? Um, it's from like, it's like a 90s. It's okay. 90s as fuck. Gundam okay. Wing is very, very 90s. Um... Yeah, so and I'll get into what the fuck is Gundam, like what the fuck is all that shit in Gundam, because it's there are so many shows that can get confusing. Um, but yeah, but so how I ended up actually getting into Gundam from that like kind of off experience of I don't really like Gundam Wing was it was when I was taking the third year Japanese classes at Boulder. Um, one of the other students in the class that I just like happened to sit next to was super into mecha stuff and like especially Gundam. And they would just talk to me about it all the time of, like, whatever the fuck was going on. I think it was it was right around when Iron-Blooded Orphans, which is one of the more recent shows, started airing. It's on Crunchyroll. Um, and, the, and that guy was just talking about it all the time. And then, and then it was also at the same time I was listening to um, game critic Austin Walker. I think he would have been on the Giant Beast cast when he was still at Giant Bomb. And he's, like, a famous mech lover. Like, he, like him talking about it all the time on podcasts I listened to. That kind of, like, it started putting the seed in my head, like... Why don't I just watch some Gundam? And 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 the reason why and it took me a while because I did the whole thing of like looking at like like view orders and like why the fuck like this is a forty year old franchise? How the hell do you get into Gundam? Like what is Gundam? And there are so many different opinions that people have about how you should watch Mobile Suit Gundam. And the only right opinion is just start with the first show because it's in my opinion the best or at least the second best. Like it's maybe a toss up for me between this and Turn A Gundam, which is a later show. Um, but yeah, like, like there's so many people that are like, oh, you watch the compilation movies and then you do Zeta Gundam because everybody loves Zeta Gundam. Or, oh, you just watch like one of the, the other like later shows that's set in its own continuity. And it's like, I don't know what to do. Um, and so then eventually 
I was like, I, I think I had settled on, I'm just going to check out the first episode of, episode of Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, not, not with a plan to watch all of Gundam. It was never a thing of like, I'm just going to sit through and watch all of Gundam. That was not my objective going in. It wasn't like some like Doctor Who thing or something like that where I had like this plan. Because I think my idea was more, I'll kind of watch the first episode of Mobile Suit Gundam, then I'll maybe check out the compilation movies and then move on to Zeta Gundam because everybody says Zeta Gundam is the best. And I had the vague impression that the first show was, like, okay because so many people said just watch the movies and those don't listen to those people. Those people are wrong. Those are bad people. Don't pay attention to them. I also have enjoyed hearing this, Sean, because I know you as the guy who just sat down and watched all 800 episodes of Doctor Who in a row. And so I just know your destiny is you were going to start at the beginning and do all of it. Yes, like, obviously to anybody else. it's But but the thing, the thing you don't know is all the times that, like, I start watch something and I, like, pull the shoot like at the very beginning I'm like fuck this I'm not going in because I, I don't even remember all the times that that's happened because it's so it's only yes. the times when the only time I ever watch something is when I go all the way in on it but yeah I was just like I don't know because and I think part of it was I had this impression I think part of it seeing screenshots people saying just move on to Zeta Gundam because everyone says Zeta Gundam is way more adult which is like it is in some ways but isn't in others that I just had this impression that the first Mobile Suit Gundam was more of like a kids show from the 70s and like that thing was like that didn't sound like something I would be way into and so I was just like eh, I'll just kind of watch the first episodes and I think that's really important context is I thought it was something that was just like a kid's like Saturday morning cartoon like Voltron or something like that I had no context for what the fuck Gundam actually was or like what the first show was because I knew that later Gundam talked about war and stuff I just didn't think that's how it started and so then I start watching the first episode and then a little bit past the first half of the first episode, um, one of the main characters, Frabo's entire family, is yep. killed right in front of her. And from that moment, I'm like, what the fuck is this show? And I was immediately hooked. And then so from that point, because that was also when all this started happening was right after we graduated from Boulder was when like I started. So it was at that perfect point where it was like in between stuff for me. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was just like, a, well, shit, I'll just start watching Gundam. And then I watched Gundam cons- like chronologically from Mobile Suit Gundam through like all its sequels and stuff. And then I have now, there's a couple of more recent things that I haven't gotten around to. But generally speaking, I've seen all the, the stuff. Um, like I haven't watched the weird live action G Savior movie that was made for like a TV company in Canada. I haven't like watched that weird shit. Um, there's some like very recent stuff I haven't seen. But other than a couple of those small exceptions, I've seen, like, everything. Like, I've seen the main series. I've seen the anime movies. I've seen the compilation movies. I've seen, like, the weird spin-off OVAs. I've seen, like, the weird three-minute shorts. Um, the only significant section of Gundam I have not seen is SD Gundam, which is, like, comedy, like, super-deformed Gundam, like, comedy spin-off stuff. That's the only major part of the franchise I have no exposure to at all. Down to, I do, like, very occasionally make Gunpla figures or Gundam plastic figures is what Gunpla stands for which is a big huge part of how the franchise got very popular is that these uh, figures were incredibly successful after Mobile Suit Gundam finished airing and they're very fun to put together because they're like little like they're putting like little plastic um, sheets and you kind of cut them out and piece them together and it's like a it's like a more sophisticated version of Legos that you come out the other side with like a highly opposable action figure so they're actually it's it's a very therapeutic like fun thing to do so yes. I have like five or I have five of them now and I brought up my 
model of the original Gundam, which is the first one I made. I, re- I recognize him from the show. He is pointing his gun right at me. Yep. He's got the sword in his hand. I feel slightly intimidated because I know this is a powerful mech suit yeah, from the show I just watched. got a battleship class beam rifle pointed right at you. Yes. I gotta say, Sean, I love you describing like your trepidation. Like, oh, I wonder if this is like a kid's show or something. Like a Saturday morning cartoon. And my only... I had no preconceived notions going in. And so I'm just like, that's the show where they killed the little girl's family. In like minute 10. Yeah. And like, it's really fucking dark. <laughs> yeah, so did, did you, Jonathan, have any experience with mecha stuff before this? Like, is that a genre you've ever really gotten into in any way? Not really. I would say I'm where you were... Like three years ago, mm-hmm. what you're saying, where like I know of Mecca, you know, like I don't know how you don't know of it, um, but no, it is not a a genre of anime I've ever dug that deep into, and it feels like this is the right one to start with because it is not the original Mecca anime, but it is certainly the the, yeah. the granddaddy of them all in a lot of ways. Yeah, because because it's one of the weird things about Mecha anime is that it does feel like it's so its own thing. Like it yeah. feels like. There's, like, a wall between mech anime and all other anime. And, like... Because there had been a couple of things. Like, like Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a little bit different in some ways. Um, like, I had seen that. I had seen... Um, what's it called? Eureka 7, which is... Like, after I watched Mobile Suit Gundam, I realized Eureka 7 is just basically Mobile Suit Gundam with, like, a bigger, like, romance subplot in it. So, like, I'd seen some stuff, but, like, generally it was just, like... There's something about the mecha genre that feels like it's so its own thing within the overall scope of anime. But yeah, I think it's fairly common that there are people who like anime and have seen stuff, but just like, you just don't go into mecha. It feels like its own weird thing. But then once you go through it, it is very hard to stop, in my experience. So It's like hentai. Sure. I'm that's kidding. Yeah, just... that's definitely, that's the, that's the <laughs> metaphor we should be going with. Yes, the Gundam is like hentai. Um, Next summer, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it's this is going down a dark path. Let's. I want to lay out before we go further. I want to lay out what the Gundam franchise looks like overall. Now that I have like the experience of having seen all of it, um, because I think there's a lot of bad information on the internet about what Gundam is. Because I think people have a weird people have weird opinions about Gundam, and I have like there's some of the general like fan consensus opinions that I somewhat agree with. Like, I think Zeta Gundam is very good. If not, maybe not absolutely the best show. It's a very good one. And I get why people sort of consider that to be the the number one show. That's the one that people kind of hold up as being like the... Like, Empire Strikes Back for Star Wars, Zeta Gundam, which is the sequel to the first show. People hold up that way. But there's a lot of bad opinions on the internet and a lot of, like, weird information about Gundam. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to set all that shit straight. So... Gundam is a franchise that's been going on for 40 years and so for most people think that that's super intimidating how could you ever get into Gundam but it's way easier than I think it is for most other franchises if you look at something like a Star Trek or a Doctor Who those are franchises that have been going on for decades but they also all are like in some way contiguous to one another right and so other than with like some weird stuff like the the J.J. Abrams reboot movie in Star Trek all the Star Trek shows take place in the same universe and they will reference aliens and political situations and characters from other shows. And so, you know, there's stuff about like Vulcans and Romulans and Klingons in basically every single Star Trek show. And sometimes if you don't have the knowledge from some of the other shows, it can be a little bit confusing. Gundam is very different from that and that the whole Gundam franchise is kind of split into two different halves. The one half is Universal Century Gundam, or sometimes, or like I'll almost always call it UC Gundam, and the other half is Alternative Universe or AU Gundam. 
So you see Gundam, Universal Century stuff. That's the like core beginning of the franchise. And it's a number of different shows and movies and spinoffs all set within the same continuity. And so that's more like the Star Trek example. So Mobile Suit Gundam is the first show. It's set in the Universal Century setting. Um, and then it had a sequel, Zeta Gundam, which takes characters and like is set like 10 or so years in the future. Um, and so it has the same characters. It's set in the same uh, setting. It carries on a lot of the themes and ideas. Zeta Gundam has its own sequel, Double Zeta Gundam. And then that show has a movie at the end called Char's Counterattack, um, which that's like the sort of core of the franchise is that first show, the two sequels to that show, and then that movie. And that's sort of like the core main continuity of Universal Century Gundam. And there are lots of other spin-offs and like OVA miniseries and manga and novels and stuff that are set in that timeline in that universe. But they're generally set with somewhere within the events depicted in those um, um, four things. Either maybe a little bit before the first show, like Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, which is a prequel. There's stuff like Gundam Unicorn that is set a little bit after Shars Counterattack movie. But all those Gundam things are... Uni Gundam Unicorn? Yes, Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. It's very good. Do they literally build a unicorn Gundam suit? Like it's it's, it's just a Gundam that has a like one horn. Like, oh. it's, it's not a big... There is a horse mobile suit in... Mobile Fighter G Gundam called Fun Psyche that Master Asia rides, but that's a very different thing. That's not UC Gundam. Okay. We'll maybe we'll get to Mobile Fighter G Gundam someday. That's a very different show. I just wanted like a rainbow unicorn horse that goes around stabbing people with its horn. Yeah, you don't quite get that. Um, okay, I'm sorry I interrupted, but no. you said something very exciting. Yes, unicorn gun. Lots of them. Like I am definitely going to say things that sound ridiculous, like Iron Blooded Orphans, and just move past it because Gundam has very good titles, right? Like Double Zeta Gundam. Yes. Great fucking title. Um, so then, um, so those like four things, Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta, Char's Counterattack, those are kind of the core um, set of, of Gundam's shows and the movie. And that's the main timeline. And all those things were kind of like made one after the other, more or less. Um, then they made a movie called Gundam F91. That's set later in the Universal Century timeline. They made another show called Victory Gundam set even further in the timeline. But those things are so far away that they kind of have nothing to do with and have no characters from the original kind of set uh, series. And that's when, after they did Victory Gundam, is when they kind of decided, let's do something else with this franchise. And so that's when they kind of created AU Gundam or Alternate Universe Gundam. And that's what the Gundam franchise has been since is occasional miniseries set around the timeline of the original shows or a big full own TV series that is set completely in its own universe. So by AU Gundam, I mean all these different kind of pockets that are their own continuity. So when I say Gundam Wing, Gundam Wing is its own 50-episode anime series that then has, I think it has like a, um, a small movie or, or OVA series, something like that set after it called Endless Waltz. But those are... That's its own thing, and Gundam Wing is its own thing, and it started, and it's ended, and maybe there will occasionally be a spinoff kind of set in that universe, but it's totally its own thing. If you have never seen any other Gundam thing, but you like saw a couple episodes of Gundam Wing on Toonami, and you really want to watch more Gundam Wing, you can just watch Gundam Wing, and you need no other knowledge. Same thing with something like Iron-Blooded Orphans. The most recent one, that's set entirely its own universe. You can go into that with no preconceived notions, no knowledge of Gundam at all. And that show will explain everything about its own rules, its own characters. It's like the mobile suits. All of those things exist on their own in all those series. And that's really what the bulk of the Gundam franchise has been since. So if you've heard 
th- about things like Gundam Seed. That's another one of those kinds of shows. Or Mobile Fighter G Gundam, which is like a very silly martial arts kind of take on Gundam. That's its own weird thing. That's its own universe. And those things never intersect. They never interact. They're all set in their own kind of pocket universe. And that's one of the really nice things about Gundam as a franchise is that you don't you don't have to start at the beginning. You only have to start at the beginning if you want to watch those original shows in that order. But other than watching Mobile Suit Gundam, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta, and Shars Counterattack the movie, other than that, you can basically watch Gundam in any order, and you are totally fine. And there's not a lot of long-running anime like that. No, yeah. Because, like, you know, if you take a Dragon Ball, it's obviously, it's all in order. You don't have to watch everything to, like, understand the current one, Dragon Ball Super, but it would be weird if you didn't, you yeah. know? Um, or, like, even something that, like, airs more infrequently, like Lupin the Third started at the same time as Gundam. It was also, I think, seven, it was a little earlier than seven. Yeah, yeah, it was earlier. But, but same around time. It is, again, you don't have to do everyone, but it is a continuing thing with those characters. Yeah, and if you're the kind of person like me that is very bothered by starting in the middle of something and not liking missing references to things, um, Gundam is actually nice because you can... If you, if you have a hard time watching old anime, and I get it, like, for some people, that's just, like, a hard thing to do, and you just want to watch whatever's easy to watch, you could just watch Iron Blooded Orphans. It's very good. And see if you like Mecha Gundam kind of stuff that way. See how much iron is in the blood of those orphans. Yes, they're, they're born on Mars, so that's why it's Iron Blooded. That makes Blood. sense. Yeah, it's like the red dust of Mars. It's a very good show. Um, but, yeah, and then, yeah, another important thing, kind of, as, as you pointed out a little bit earlier... Um, one thing that's really nice about Gundam is it is not based on anything else. So the core canon of Gundam is all the different individual anime TV shows. It's not a manga series. It's not a light novel series. Um, so that's something that, especially in today's anime landscape, is very rare, is the ability to just watch a show that is like, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam has 43 episodes. It has 43 episodes of the show. It is as a beginning, middle, and end. At the end of Mobile Suit Gundam, it is done. Yes, there is a sequel, but the sequel is set like eight years or something in the future. It was made like six years later. It has some of the same characters carry over, but it has its own protagonist. It's like you can you can watch this show and then have it be done and finished. And it's not the kind of thing of, oh, they made like 12 episodes of an adaptation of whatever this popular manga is. And you watch those 12 episodes and they never adapt any more of it. And you're like, well, fuck, either I have to go find the manga and like decide do I read read the manga from the beginning because I want to see what the ending is or do I just try to figure out where the fuck the anime left off none of that bullshit none or of the-, the opposite bullshit of like man we're running really close to where the manga is right now in weekly jump so we're gonna have to do 30 weeks where we throw the protagonist in a video game world yes exactly there's no like here's some random filler there's no garlic junior saga of Gundam right they don't have those kinds of adaptational issues because it's just one of those rare, long-running franchises where the anime TV show part of it is the main thing. And so, you know, it's like with, like, Doctor Who, the TV show is the main part of Doctor Who. Star Wars, the movies are the main part of Star Wars. Gundam, the, the anime series are the main part of Gundam. And you can just, if you like to watch TV anime, Gundam is a really nice franchise to get into because there are a lot of TV anime shows you can watch that are set in Gundam, but they're all very digestible on their own because none of them are longer than 50 episodes. So you can just pick a show and watch it and be happy and have fun. And again, like I would, I because Mobile Suit Gundam, the first show um, is my favorite, I would say like you should start there because it's so good. But you can honestly start wherever. And if you just like really like the aesthetic of Gundam Wing or you really thought like Gundam 00 is really cool looking or Iron Blood Orphans looks cool or you have a friend that is a big fan of Gundam Seed you can just watch those shows and just watch those shows 
and then it's cool and it's fine and it's good. And and that's one of the things that is really nice about the Gundam franchise is that it is while it seems intimidating on the outside because it's so old, like a lot of these kind of media franchises are, it is actually way more accessible than than any other one I've encountered. Yeah, I mean a main trilogy of anime plus a movie for like the main original continuity, that's not hard at all. Yes. And yeah. and if you don't want to bother with Universal Century stuff, you don't have to. Like there's lots of great stuff in there, but if you don't want to commit to all that, you don't have to. So yeah, so that's what the Gundam franchise looks like. And then finally, before we get into actually discussing the shows or the, the first two episodes, I want to give you, Jonathan, a little bit of context of what this looked like coming into Mobile Suit Gundam because it's there's a lot of like interesting sort of genre history in terms of how this got born. So the main creative uh, figure behind Gundam as a franchise and this first show is a man named Yoshiki Tomino. And so I will often probably refer to him while we're talking about these episodes as like Tomino did this or that because he's, if you have to pick an auteur figure for Gundam, it's definitely Tomino. Um, he was the creative director for this show, Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta, like basically all the original Universal Century stuff I just said, he was involved with all of that. And then he has come back periodically to do a couple of AU shows over the years. Um, so Tomino got started in anime actually as, I think he was like a production assistant on um, Astro Boy. So he was there from like the ground floor. Astro Boy is basically the first anime thing made. Um, so he worked with Osamu Tezuka adapting that. Um, and then so he started working anime in the 60s that way. And then slowly kind of worked his way up to being a director of multiple different shows. Um, and then eventually he started directing different mecha series. Um, but before Mobile Suit Gundam, the mecha genre was a little bit different than what it is now. Um, where all the shows are what we would now call super robot shows. Um, and a super robot show or a super robot mecha is like, think of like Voltron um, or Mazinger Z um, is like kind of like one of the first ones. Then it's that kind of show where, yeah, it's a giant robot, but it's more kind of fantasy in nature where the robot um, doesn't feel as scientific. Almost always they're fighting like some sort of alien force or like alien army or something. And it's a group of very small kids piloting this magic robot fighting aliens. And it's much more lighthearted, much more goofy. You know, think of stuff like Ultraman is technically an alien, but it's sort of that kind of mecha thing. Or Power Rangers with the um, Megazords, like that's a super robot kind of concept. That sort of thing where it's very child-focused. That's what mecha was. And so Tomino started would, working would on Would our, shows. you know, like the American Transformers kind of be like that? Transformers is definitely more super robot, yeah. Where it's, it's more sort of like sci-fi fantasy yeah. Um, kind of feel. I know it's sure. not an anime, but just like as a touchstone for people who might know that show. Yes, yeah. So like Transformers is a good example of, of something else that would be kind of like that. Um, so yeah, so Tomino got started working on shows like that, but he started pushing them to be kind of more dark and more edgy and a bit more adult. Um, and eventually he um, he was working for the production studio Sunrise that still is, you know, they're the Gundam people. And they eventually let him make a show and that would eventually become Mobile Suit Gundam. It started out as like something like Freedom Fighter or something or other. Um, and it went through a long iteration process before eventually settling on becoming um, what we know as Mobile Suit Gundam. And so when Mobile Suit Gundam came out, the, the objective was to push the mecha genre into a very different direction. And one of the reasons why Gundam is so hailed and influential is because it created this split in the mecha genre where now we have two halves, basically. You either have the super robot sh stuff like Mazinger Z, or you have stuff like Gundam, which is called Real Robot, which is leaning way more into hard sci-fi um, stuff where it's about 
you know, the, the, the mecha have a more scientific basis, a more mechanical look to them. Um, typically, you don't have, like, aliens or anything. It's about two different human factions fighting each other, like in Gundam. Um, it's generally set more, like, around in Earth and, like, a more, like, near-future kind of Earth setting. All the stuff that, that Gundam does to ground its setting in a sort of high, hard sci-fi sense, that's the stuff that became very influential and in, in spawned what we now call this, like, kind of real robot um, subgenre. And that's the way that, like, fans will still discuss this, both on, like, the Japanese side and the English side, is you have super robot shows and you have real robot shows. And one of the things that, to me, is so interesting about the first Mobile Suit Gundam is that it straddles that divide in a really interesting way, where Sunrise, the production company, like, when Tomia would try to push things a little bit too hard into, like, the adult real kind of direction, they would pull back. So one of the reasons why the Gundam looks so bright and colorful is because that's the design of, like, the super robot aesthetic of, like, the white and, and blue and red and gold. Um, they the, Originally, he wanted it to be more kind of military-looking colors. But I actually think the dichotomy between here's what on the surface, like one of the reasons why I thought when I started approaching Gundam that the first show was a kid's show is because it has that aesthetic of the super robot shows that are just like kids' Saturday morning cartoons, but the actual thematic and narrative content of it skews way hard in the other direction. And that contrast to me, I've always found very, very interesting and kind of, um, kind of electric in, 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 at the core of the show. So that's sort of where the genre divide happens. Some other important context is um, the, while the original Mobile Suit Gundam was airing, it wasn't actually that popular. Um, so they originally had a slate of 52 episodes to be made. So it would be a weekly anime that would run for a full year. But while it was airing, it, it wasn't catching on very well. Um, so it was originally going to get cut back to 39 episodes. Then petitioned to have an extra month, which is how we arrive at the final 43 episodes. Um, which I honestly actually think based on reading what their plans were for the full 52, that actually scrunching the ending down and, and contracting it works probably better um, for the narrative. And we'll talk about that obviously when we get to the end and how they change things and, and sort of what the ending's like. Um, but yeah, so they, they the Gundam effectively got canceled early. But after it finished airing, uh, Namco got the rights to make the figures or I think it was technically Bandai at the time. And so they were making all these Gundam figures and those started getting really popular. And so they would rerun the show and the reruns of the show were really popular. And so then because the reruns of the show were so popular, they got the green light to make the compilation movies, which are three movies that cobbled together footage from the original airing of the show with some new footage um, spliced in there as well. And like new audio recording and stuff like that, new sound effects that kind of tell the whole story of the original 43 episodes but in these three um, sort of big chunks. I think the compilation movies are okay, but I think like the pacing of the TV show is much better. But those compilation movies were hugely successful and were some of the most successful movies of the years that they released. I think they made something like 5 billion yen altogether in the early, like in like 1981 and two. Um, so like hugely, hugely successful uh, movies. And that's what then got them the green light to make Zeta Gundam, which came out, I think in 84. Um, so that's once Zeta Gundam, the sequel came out, that's when Gundam like sort of as a franchise got started and like rolled on. Um, but it was like, it's funny that the show was not originally created with the objective of selling toys. It, was, it wasn't like a G.I. Joe or Transformers thing, but ultimately the sale of the toys is what kind of revived Gundam and, and brought it back so that then more people, 
it, were exposed to it and then once people were exposed to it they're like holy shit this thing is amazing and that's how it became so successful it always comes back to the merchandising it does you it's, know? Like, it's like Studio Ghibli Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata's company was well, they didn't necessarily struggle in its early years but they did not have a huge hit until the 90s but in, like Totoro was not a hit in theaters in part because they paired it with Grave of the Fireflies, the saddest movie ever made. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting double feature. It's the weirdest double feature in movie history. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but because the, their movies merchandised so well, particularly Totoro, Totoro plushes just floated Ghibli for like a fucking decade. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why they've always been independent and been able to do whatever the hell they want. Like eventually their movies became very big on their own terms. But even when they weren't, like... They never had to worry because they could just go sell some Totoro plush toys. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's capitalism at its best. Yeah, some like oftentimes merchandising destroys things, but every once in a while it, it allows something new to be born. Yes, um, and and it definitely like fucking merchandising one hundred percent saved Gundam. And if you get a cool model out of it. Hey, why and, not? Yeah, and hey, like Gunpla, if you get into Gundam, it's very cool. I never would have thought I'd be the kind of person that would make model figures like that, but there's something so kind of like therapeutic and it's so much better than just buying an action figure because it's like here's like this two hour little kind of construction project that is something that if you're so swamped with like all this other shit I need to do it's like that are like like big scale projects you need to do sometimes you just need something very small that feels very practical and hands on that's like I can just build this fucking little thing and like solve some sort of small problem so that like I can distract myself from the big shit that I can't solve in the moment like that's like, like seriously, I would recommend people consider it. You can do, like, Lego figures or whatever, but... Yes. No, I do it too. As, as an adult, don't just ignore that thing because you think it's for kids. It's, it's a nice... It's like a good, like, mental health tip or something. I built a big Lego set this year, and I think I got more out of it than I did as a kid. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's what people said about, like, Nintendo Labo. It was like, who gives a shit about the game? Yep. I just want to make some cool cardboard thing because that's way more fun, and it just feels good. Indeed. But yeah, so that's 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 the Gundam. It's it's about making those figures, but it's also about how war is evil and you know, the we uh you the proliferation of weapons technology means that child soldiers will become more and more effective as we go in the future. Um it's a lot of shit. Wow. So let's talk about Mobile Suit Gundam. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna talk about episodes one and two of Mobile Suit Gundam. Alright, so Sean, you want to talk about these first two episodes we watched for, for yes. this episode? So the first thing we should address, we should start from the beginning. The opening animation for Mobile Suit Gundam is fucking amazing. It's so good. It's It really does a good job of straddling the line of kind of what the show itself does, as you were describing, of like trying to go in like a, a harder direction, but it also has these these, you know kid-friendly elements maybe mm-hmm. or these bright colorful elements because i love it is this bright colorful opening with this really great song but like the lyrics are like they they very much fit the show yes you know it's uh it put a smile on my face got me ready to watch the show that's what the theme song's supposed to do yes but but the first time i watched it you can see how even through that first like 90 seconds i was still duped to think that this was yes. a kid's show because if you're not paying attention to the lyrics it just looks like a, oh this is yeah this is like a saturday morning cartoon something like whatever it's a it's a really good song and I I love that song to death but it seemed like it was still a kids show and then after that you get um the opening narration that I just want to read the oh, yes. narration because it's so good it is the year 0079 of the universal century a half century has passed since earth began moving its burgeoning population into gigantic orbiting space colonies a new home for mankind where people are born 
and raised and where they die. Nine months ago, the cluster of colonies furthest from the earth called Side 3 proclaimed itself the Principality of Zeon and launched a war of independence against the Earth Federation. Initial fighting lasted over one month and half the population of humanity died. People were horrified by the indescribable atrocities that had been committed in the name of independence. Eight months have passed since the rebellion began and the war was at a stalemate. That is such an enormous info dump. Uh-huh. I was really happy when it played again at the start of episode two. Yeah, it plays Be- again at the beginning of like I think the first ten or so episodes. Yeah, because when it came on again, at part two, I'm like, I understand some of this now. Yes. Okay, this is good. It's like a test. Like now I can. Okay, I get. Okay, the the Z, what is it? Zeon. Zeon. The Zeon people. They're the bag. Okay, I get that. That's where Shar is from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, half of the population died. Okay, they were serious about that. That's dark. Is that like an origin prequel show where they just show half of humanity fucking dying? So so what happens, because you can see it, they don't say in the narration, but you see it um, in, as because they animate it is, um, and the, within the first month after what's called the Battle of Loom, uh, the Xeon forces drop a space colony onto the surface of the Earth and like drive a space colony into the Earth. And that's what causes most of the casualties because because obviously like the explosion and everything kills a lot of people but it causes a massive ecological disaster that once we get deeper into the show you start to see some of the effects of that on earth but yes so zeon uh yeah zeon dropped a colony on earth half the population is dead um it's a it's a bad it's a bad time to be a human <laughs> it is <laughs> a world of gundam the zeon people they uh they got a real beef with this federation yeah. That's that's a pretty brutal civil war. They're just they're not just like, yeah, we just want to be self-governed. They're like, we're going to fucking kill all of you. Yeah. So, it's obviously as we go deeper in the show, we'll learn more about what the Earth Federation is like, what the what is up with the Principality of Zeon, um, and all that kind of stuff. I'll try to avoid giving too many spoilers. One thing I do want to say now that I'm thinking about it before I slip on it just because just to let you know, um, this conflict after Mobile Suit Gundam is referred to as the One Year War because it lasts one year in time, um, and I am no way I'm going to be able to not call it that because it's what it's always referred to as. Obviously, they don't call it that in this show because that would be like a show set during World War One, calling World War One World War One. Yes. So, so when I, if I ever refer to something as the One Year War, understand that I'm referring to this conflict between the Earth Federation. I and already the of Zeon. just in googling the show saw that term. So, yes. yes. So, yeah. So I just realized I should probably say that before, like I start saying that, and nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about if they're just starting watching with this show. But yeah, so that opening animation and, and sort of narration is definitely very dense with um, um, information, but it is such a good kind of somber way to. It's like a. It's honestly like a way better version of like the opening crawl of Star Wars where it gives you that like it's basically the text that would be the opening crawl. But I love like all the animation you see and you get to see what the space colonies look like. I love like that pause that the narration narrator has and he says and where they die and you see the colony exploding. Um, Yeah, it's definitely it's a good opener to set the mood. And then you have what I think is like one of the just most effective first like minute to like 90 seconds of at the beginning of any episode of an anime of like what is the real beginning of this um show which is you just see a space colony slowly spinning through space and they have these like nice again kind of hard sci-fi looking cylindrical colonies that spin to create the artificial gravity and it's a slow pan shot through space that then all of a sudden this green metallic dome jumps into the frame with this single like piercing red eye in the middle of its visor 
and you see it's it's one of three what we we will come to know are Zaku's, which are the Xeon mobile suit uh, that are slowly drifting towards that space colony, and you just have the like breathing noise of the Zaku thing as it goes through, and they infiltrate the colony, they slide down that hill, and and one I think it's Slender, Sergeant Slender, I think he is, uh, says. Well, this is weird. Why, why is nobody around? Where, where is everybody? And someone says like, oh no, look, there's a girl. And then it zooms in. And then you cut to Frauboy's, Fraubo's perspective as she comes into Amaro's house. I love that opening of you following the Xeon forces as they infiltrate the colony. And that's the first thing you, you do. And then it's that really, like, really elegant cut from their perspective to who is like going to be our main characters with, with Frabo and then Amaro and then his friends. Um, that transition is so smooth and so so well done. Yeah, because you could very easily just start this with like Amaro in his lab or his bedroom, I guess. But yeah. He's working on that computer, and you could start that, and then Frabo could come in and like be like, "No, we've got to leave. We've got to evacuate." But that would not be nearly as 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 accomplished in terms of contextualizing yeah. as what they actually do with space. The colony, the Xeon forces, they're going down. You're not sure actually who's the good guy and bad guy yet if you're just watching it for the first time yeah. because those they're they're there on a scouting mission. They're not being violent yet. So it's dis and there's actually I think a lot of that in these first two episodes of like it is not framed in the traditional we're watching bad guys, we're watching good guys. Yeah. We're watching two sides of the conflict. So I can already tell they're going to complicate these lines. Probably you're nodding along, so I think yeah. I've probably got something there. And uh, and then yeah, and then you go in and you meet Fraubo and you meet Amaro. And at this point, you're not sure who's the protagonist, who's going to be our central figure. It's really not until, I would say, the halfway point of this first episode where you start to get a sense of who we're going to be following. And I think that's very... It's something this first episode impressed me with overall is that, you know, Amaro winds up being the protagonist by the time, you know, he steps into that suit. But it comes fairly organically. Yeah. Like, what if Fraubo had found the instruction manual or something and he had been doing something else and she had decided to take that initiative and had that knowledge? Like, it's, it doesn't seem, feel like predetermined or predestined or like we're just following one person on this journey to become the hero. It really does feel like we're, we're examining this big conflict holistically and this person winds up in the right place at the right time. We could also say wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And, and things happen. And it's part of what makes... We've already hinted at how much we like this first episode. It is so propulsive, so much happens, and I think it is in part because of how well they contextualize and frame things. Absolutely, because it's it's one of the things that I think Tomino's sort of style as a storyteller is he does this really interesting thing I, that like nothing else I've ever seen kind of replicates, of where he both gives you like really big picture information. And then he'll give you like really small picture information, but he kind of misses everything in the middle, I think intentionally, and creates a certain like disorientation where you have to fill in a lot of gaps by like sort of making careful observations of what's going on and kind of connect things together. Um, that gives you that sense that you're talking about of not quite knowing who is the prags here, like who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. Like I think there's a very intentional sort of sense of plucking out pieces of information that most other shows would just give you directly immediately as exposition or some like very clear indicator and trying to allow the the viewer to start to make connections on their own and that's very much a sort of hallmark of his storytelling style that you can see right away i mean just i think if you laid out the plot summary and then asked someone where do you think this story starts you'd probably say with the town getting the evacuation order right mm -hmm. that's where you do, and that's alighted 
a lot of the stuff with like you know we meet Amaro and 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 learn about kind of the Gundam project before we meet his father who is working on the Gundam project. Yeah. All of these little things I think add up to put you right in the midst of the action. It's a very kind of first person is wrong because it is omniscient, but like you're in the middle of it. It's very immersive. It's it does not feel like it has this remove where it is intentionally as you say showing you everything. It's big picture so you know where we are. But then it's a lot of like we're with Amaro and and this first episode is that journey of basically getting off the planet. Yeah, and Absolutely. it's really compelling. Yeah, it's really as that's it, like propulsive is a good word to use because it's this first episode, which I should just say like this is like one of in my opinion like the best first episodes of any TV show I've ever seen. Like the amount of work it does to establish the setting, the main character, like the the core themes of the show that obviously we'll get be able to go into more detail as we get deeper into the series. But all of that stuff um, just delivered in this really exciting, quick-paced um, fashion that, like, it's, it's nice because it has this very old-fashioned sensibility of, it reminds me of, like, an old, like, 60s comic book or something like that, like the first issue of Spider-Man or Amazing Fantasy 15 that's like there's so much information that it's able to communicate to you but I think Gundam has this like elegance to it that it just sort of lays out everything it needs to do with such an efficient um, sort of like direct fashion without ever losing the sense of drama that it's also trying to convey and that's something that is really remarkable and and, and like I said I had written I originally watched this I had no plans on it being like a whole Gundam thing I was going to do and then you get like halfway through this episode it's like fuck it like I have to watch this whole show like how do you not how are you not immediately compelled by what happens in this first episode because I have to say it's it's pretty rare these days maybe this is a me problem if, if you know it is partially but like that I sit down and watch a TV show and whether it's 25 minutes 50 minutes whatever it is that at some point I don't feel a tug to like check my phone or stand up or like yeah. I don't know just like I'm a little twitchy in that way yeah as someone and, who's been watching through Game of Thrones for the first time I understand that feeling very well yes well especially because a lot of American TV just has a lot of fucking dead air in it yeah um, but like you know with anime too because a lot we were talking about this earlier too that, that Gundam not being based on a manga means it just has an inherently different pace than pretty much any anime I've ever seen yeah because I don't I, I do not know if I've actually watched an anime to completion that is not based on a manga. I would yeah. have to like look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people, that's probably true. Yeah. But like, um, or like something like Dragon Ball Super, which there is not a well, there is a Dragon Ball Super manga, but like, it was but they're not. yeah, they're like co-developed. They're projects. co-developed. Um, but obviously, the original source material is a manga. Um, so like, just sometimes you know, like if if that's the pace for an anime, they know like, okay, we have we're gonna do this part of the story to this part of the story. We fit it into twenty five minutes. Sometimes it'll be really fast with no dead air, but sometimes you know there'll be three minutes of you know I don't know Krillin looking at Frieza and being scared yeah. or something, right? And this is it's just so and it's not breathless. It's very well paced, but like it is. I, I had no compulsion to do anything else. I stared at my computer screen for twenty five minutes. I barely blinked. At yep. one point, like an email alert came up, and I got so annoyed. I'm like turning off my Wi-Fi because I'm like, I just want. And then episode, and then it was like I had to take a couple minutes to like breathe after that first episode because so much happened. And yep. I was like, all right, episode two, right now, right yep. now. I have a couple hours before I have to go see Sean to do this podcast, but I'm watching it right now. Yep. No, like that's that's exactly the sensation I had. Especially like I love you. You get to have that nice eye catch in the middle of these episodes, just to be like a holy shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. So much stuff has happened, and the show does start to slow down past this point because obviously it would have to. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, you know, it has to introduce so many characters because we have a nice big 
ensemble cast together by the end of episode two. And so, like, we have to introduce with this, like, basically, like, 10 or 11 characters um, to the viewer across these two episodes. It's like there's so much information they need to communicate. They do it so well. Um, so, so let's talk about what um, sort of the, the middle point of the episode. So we have Amro is in his house um, and, and Prabo comes to get him, pull him out for the evacuation order. Um, and that's when shit. Then they like go back. They start. They realize it's the Zaku's. Shit starts going down. Um, Amro and Frabo are start trying to escape, and that's where the the scene that happened. That like, well, let's back up. Oh, because, okay. Do you want to? Because the Zaku. There's the two Zaku captains, Slender, and who's the other guy? Um, Slender's the main one I remember. Um, the other guy dies. In yeah, this I episode. mean they, but they all die. All but, three of them die by the end of the two episodes. But the other guy is important because they're there on a scouting mission, yes. and he just straight up decides, okay, oh my god, they're making their own mobile suits because this is the whole point: is that the Zaku's the right. Zeon Force. What are they? The the propriety of Zeon or something? Uh, the principality. The principality of yes. Zeon. They their big war advantage is they have the mobile suits. Yes, because they're the space um, colonists, so they had. They had developed that technology to help them build space colony stuff, and so then they secretly developed it into a weapon. So yes, yeah, so one of the reasons why they're winning winning the war is because they have the Zaku twos, and the Earth Federation doesn't have anything that good. Yeah. So these two Zaku's came down to this colony not to kill anyone. They were there to scout. They yes. see they've got these Gundams without orders. The kind of the young guy who's like you know very impulsive decides, we're, let's just destroy this base. Yeah, he has a good line where he's like, you know, Lieutenant Shard won his like glory in real combat, so I'm going to go do this shit. Yes. So that's part of the horror of it. It is is it is completely unprovoked yes. violence because he also doesn't have to kill the people to do it. It's like complete bloodlust. And then, as you say, you get the scene that. That tells you what this show is about to a degree where he just where um Amaro is like looking around he's like where is everyone he sees Fraubo he's like Fraubo and they and yell and then boom and she gets blasted out of the sky towards the camera basically you think she might be dead but no we do this it's a beautiful like pan up over this little hill and just pile of bodies and Fraubo's entire family is dead yes and Fraubo like stands up and says like mom mom grandma and she like stumbles over to her mom's body and is like shoving it and and, and then Amara runs over and grabs her and like slaps her and is like no Frau you're stronger than this like you have to get up you have to run and this is the part that like I've seen this episode like four or five because I've watched this episode multiple times without watching the rest of Gundam because I think it's so fucking good um it gets me every time where she stands up and she's and he's like, "You have to run, Frabo. You have to run. You have to run." And she starts stumbling away, like away from the camera, basically over the bodies. Um, and it, like it's this nice, like you know, cut to her, cut back to close up on Amara's face, cut back to her. She's like trying to walk up that hill and she slips and falls. And he's just like, "Come on, Frabo. That's the way to go. Like you can do it. You can do it." As tears start forming on his face, it's like every time that happens, it hits me so hard. And there's something about just, like, the bluntness of it that is still shocking to me. Like, it's still, every time you get that, where it's like, all those people are dead. And Frabo's just, like, has to deal with this new reality. And she can barely cope with it and is, like, stumbling to try to get away. It hits me so hard every single time I've watched it. Because there's also a thematic thing going on here that I know this theme becomes bigger later in the series because you've talked about it. But... The child soldier idea. Yeah. Because you do have a scene somewhere in here where we have Amaro's dad. Yes, Tamray. Tamray. These names are... The, the, the names are, the, are one of the best parts of Gundam. They're A+. plus. Yes. Uh, but anyway, Tamray talking about kind of the goal of the Gundam project. And don't they have a line about like, 
we want to eliminate soldiers on the battlefield, but especially young people. And like yes. Gundam will allow us to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's because um, he's talking to Bright, um, and and Bright says like, "Oh, I'm 19 years old," and and sees a picture of Amar on the yes. desk. He's like, "Oh, is that your son, sir?" And he's like, "Yes, he's he's only 15." And and like I've I've heard there are children as young as him fighting on the front lines. Like, if we can win this war, we can get that to stop happening. Yes, yeah. and of course, the great irony of again just the first half of this one episode is that. Uh, because of all these actions uh, different adults have taken, all the adults in this colony are just wiped out in one blow. And yep. it's down to Fraubo and Amaro, and kind of just the kids are left. And there's no one else to go pilot that Gundam. That's one of the things I really like about the choices Amaro makes here, is it doesn't feel contrived. It feels no, very no. much like this situation was forced upon him. He and like his heroism comes from taking the initiative and what he does he has to do because they build a scenario whereby if he didn't do that as impulsive as it is everything would be lost yeah you know including into the second episode just defending like the Gundam weaponry itself that could have been stolen and and replicated by the other soldiers so I find that all very interesting and it immediately starts making you question those ideas of like child soldiers and and moreover just young people fighting old people's wars yeah which is one of those really important um distinctions I think Tommy Neal probably wanted to like establish really firmly in this first episode is we are not ignoring the trope that children are always the protagonists of these kinds of shows we're leaning into it and making it one of our core thematic principles is looking at like child soldiers are a thing they have always been a thing um throughout all of history like let's explore some of that idea instead of it just being like well it's a kids it's aimed for a younger demographic so we're going to have a younger character be the protagonist and it's a big action show it's like let's actually look at what that concept would look like more realistically um, oh i mean the, the whole the show's whole attitude when he gets in that suit is fascinating to me because mm-hmm. it is you know you could very easily imagine your model here like that gundam suit that he has being on a just a total kid show, a super robot show, yeah. as you say, and they're going to be like, "Yeah, I've got my big suit. Let's go have fun, guys." You know, let's play they, an episode where they probably use their big beam swords to like play tennis or something. Yeah, I could imagine that. But he's like in that suit, like tearing up. He's actively scared. He's battle like, is I love how they animate like flop, sweaty Amuro whenever like battle starts. He's just like sweating and like freaking out. He's like, "Oh, I don't know what to do." And he's like, he's like trying to pilot it while like having the fucking manual like balanced on his knees like having what the, do I press the, how do I what do I do having the fucking manual out is one thing that I have yeah. to say very much distinguishes this for me uh-huh. of there's there's no like he has just an innate ability other than that he is smart and good with machines but he has to like pull out a fucking paper manual and look things up yeah and it's it's I feel like that signals a certain attitude of the show as well so like that dichotomy alone of being in this big fun colorful suit but he's not it's not fun it's it's battle it's war it's dark it's what's happening is is really serious life and death and and everybody gets that viewer audio you know creator characters in the show all very interesting to me yes yeah and one other thing i really like i think there are some really good shots around this part of the show or of the episode that really do this well of i love the scale of the zakus um compared to the people and one of my favorite shots is i think it's after the zaku shoots that like hangar full of soldiers which are the first people that amaro sees killed um, and then you just have this shot of like armor in the background and these massive like bullet shells falling like right in front of the camera and you get that sense of like oh god like the shells from the bullets fired by the guns carried by these things it's not the zaku itself it's like part of the bullet that it shoots from its rifle are like as big as a fucking car and, yeah. and like the sense of the 
the like powerlessness that a normal person has to do anything in this scenario where you're dealing with a weapon that is like that is so striking. And any time in any mech show where they can have that kind of um, get like the relative sense of scale down so effective in like that kind of dramatic way, it like the kaiju loving part of me like gets hit really hard by that. Like, oh my god! Like, yeah, and I love having like the Zaku stand next to these like artificial trees on the colony and like that sense of scale. Um, between these giant human figures and, like, the actual humans on the ground, that if, like, again, if it shot a shot, the fucking bullet casing flying through the air could kill, like, three people when it landed. Absolutely. One other thing I want to talk about with, like, this episode and the early stuff, and it's it's not so much just about the show or the story, but sort of an overall, like, cultural attitude towards some things, is mm-hmm. that one of, you know, this episode has so much to do, and one of the ways it is so economic is it, it doesn't, question the things we just automatically buy into like people getting into a giant robot suit and fighting yeah there's no time wasted on here's how the robot suit like works and like this is how i mean you see it in in action a yeah bit, there's like one line not... about like oh it's got a learning computer or something yeah. yeah but it's not we don't sit down and be like that seems silly that you built a giant robot why would you do that yeah there's nobody and... like sitting around being like oh, what should we call this it's a some sort of gun dummy like yeah yes. there's nothing there's no. no there's no something like that and and that's the that's one thing that like there are a lot of very Jap- japanese genres uh mecha is one kaiju is another yeah that in japan one of the reasons they work is i think there is just a cultural buy-in to the concept yeah that the shows or movies themselves don't have to waste time on that when they get adapted to america you see a problem where america particularly hollywood feels like it has to spend a lot of time justifying its own concept yeah we just talked about this with uh on the main weekly stuff podcast with godzilla king of the monsters where that movie just spends too much time yeah it's one of the things that kills the first act of that movie yeah yeah uh you know that movie is 130 minutes most godzilla movies are like 100 minutes Mm -hmm. that extra half hour is mostly techno babble explaining just like no i get it they're monsters they're gonna fight right yeah or like um pacific rim is a movie we love yes i also think that movie spends too much time explaining the science of like there's there's too many convoluted elements to just explain why because it feels like well getting in a robot is silly so we really have to explain it and justify it or like um another one i've seen is um rooster teeth's newest animated show is something called genlock which yeah. is their attempt at a mecha anime there's some interesting stuff in it it's very well animated there's some cool things in it but like that's another one where I was like, good God, I get it. They're going to get in a fucking robot. This is really like overwrought in terms of building a plot. And it is just something I've thought of of like a lot of anime stories are really good at for their genre. Just like there are things we accept and we can move on and tell a story. And there's an economy to these 25 minutes where like if any like piece of Hollywood tried to adapt Gundam, it would spend them a solid hour, I would bet, to get to the point where this episode gets by the first 25 minutes. Yeah. And, like, one of the things that's really important about it with Gundam is there is... And, and we'll probably talk about this next episode is more kind of like the world-building stuff because we'll get deeper into it. But there are lots of, like, really interesting kind of, like, really well-thought-through world-building concepts that are fundamental to how this universe works. And, like, you know, we'll talk about Minovsky particles because that's I don't think that word has even been said yet. I don't think so. But I would have remembered that. Yes, there's all... Because I was, I was kind of waiting for it to be like, a, I need to wait to see when they say this term because I want to explain what this means because they take a while to explain it. But, yeah, so we'll probably get to that next episode. But there's lots of little things and, like, what the fuck, like, this, the sides are, you know? So, like... Zeon is from side three we're in side seven in like the space colonies like there's lots of interesting world building concepts that are really well thought through 
that the show doesn't stop and sit and have like you know bright sit Amaro down at the end of episode two and be like and this is what this is and you know and have just like this big exposition episode that's like a that's you know the classic thing of where everyone knows like well all these characters know all this information why are they saying it like as you know Amaro the sides are this and blah 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 yeah like you don't have any scenes like that because the characters know what they know the show is smart enough and Tomino as a storyteller trusts his audience I think implicitly to be an intelligent audience and so he's not going to spend time on that and the things that they all the work they did in the world building of the setting of Gundam to justify all the hard sci-fi elements are things that are just baked into the world and when they come up they just come up and he just leaves it to like the audience to kind of put things together and so that's one of the ways that allows you to then um, be able to have the the protagonist get into the robot halfway through the first episode. So it's like there's only like 10 to 12 minutes of this whole show that is spent before the protagonist gets into the robot whereas like if, if you could imagine an American version it would be like episode 3 before he fucking actually gets into the goddamn thing. That sounds early to me, you know? Yes, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and you're able to do that while also maintaining this really like sort of like real feeling world. No, there is a confidence to this first episode that is like the best sci-fi or fantasy just throws you into the deep end of the world and trusts that you will get it and that if by the end of two, three episodes you don't understand everything you're seeing, that's okay. Yeah. You'll get it eventually and maybe if you don't, that's okay too. Like it is its own world and what matters is the characters, the forward momentum, those things you're going to have a really clear grasp on, I feel like. Yes. Or or, or there'll be a character like Char who, okay, I don't fully understand this guy's motivations yet, but he's very compelling and I look forward to learning more. Those are the kinds of things you want to get to know and it does it... Re- I mean, it, it, honestly, this first episode is kind of a master class in seamless, immersive world building. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about... because So after all the stuff we've talked about, we have our first fight scene because... One of the things that's interesting about the first Mobile Suit Gundam is it does it does have enough of that Saturday morning cartoon roots that you will see as we go on that they're always like every episode. Sometimes I kind of stretch it a little bit, but basically every episode needs to have a scene where Gund- the Gundam fights something, and so that's part of like the structure of the show. So this is our first Gundam fight, and this is another area where the first time I watched it, I was so impressed by how well this show puts its foot down as in the first episode of establishing this is the kind of show this is, is the process Amuro goes through of one that like the only reason Amuro is able to survive at all in these first two episodes is just that the Gundam is so powerful and everyone that comes up against them in the, their Zakatus is just like a what the fuck I just shot that thing like 15 it, it feels like you're like playing a, an online shooter with lag or something it's like oh motherfucker I shot him like 50 times in the head how is he not dead like that's it's basically the, where they are it's the only time Char gets rattled at all in these two episodes yeah. is he like bl- blows away that Gundam he thinks and then it's around and he's like uh, retreat shit yeah. it's like <laughs> I can't compete with that firepower yeah he just like gets out of there so so you know Amuro doesn't have any idea what he's doing he doesn't even know how to pull out um, his beam saber um, yet like and I love there's as he's getting the Gundam like just kind of trying to hobble off of that trailer um, I love that the the sort of idiot um, Zeon dude who started the attack just like oh it looks like it's malfunctioning or something like it's not working properly and I love that I that they do such a good job in Gundam of always keeping in mind that like they're these are two people piloting machines fighting each other so he can't see anything about who the fuck is the person piloting this other he doesn't know that it's some kid he doesn't know that it's someone that doesn't know what they're doing so he just assumes oh there's something wrong it's some prototype it's not all the way done 
and then the Gundam gets up. It's a great iconic shot of the Gundam leaning up and like the smoke just coming out of the, like the vents on the front. It stands up and then Amro like it's like the first thing Amro does is like he's just like oh and he just kind of shoves the Zaku and like rips off its weird like mouth thing. Um, then he finally figures out how to pull out the beam saber and he he slashes the Zaku, but he hits its like reactor and so the Zaku fucking explodes. And I don't know if you caught this, Jonathan, but when the Zaku explodes, so it obviously rips that hole in the side of the space colony, and then Amro's dad and the other engineer are sucked out into space. And it's this quick shot of them getting sucked out along with the tractor that they're riding. Okay, because I was going to ask, is his dad dead? Um, His dad, I will just say, like, his dad does come back um, way later. I think it'll be in our third episode we'll see him again but let's say he has been affected by the experiences okay. but Amro doesn't know nobody knows what happened to Tamrae right because I missed it too because um, it must have happened so fast and yes. there's so many characters it's very quick point. yeah I, I, he wasn't around I noticed that his absence is quite conspicuous but yeah it, it, I just assumed I didn't know what had happened to him it sounds like we're going to learn yeah so it comes up it's going to be like a long time before it comes up again um, but yeah so the first significant action of violence Amro has, like that he commits, is blowing up the Zaku, because you know he has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't realize that oh, if I just like totally eviscerate this thing, it's just going to fucking explode. Because the Zaku, like the mobile suits, I'm pretty sure in this continuity, the mobile suits are using nuclear reactors to power themselves. Um, so it's like here's this giant fucking explosion, and he and nobody else notices that his dad is. Like they're driving on some tractor, and his dad's like, "Who the hell is piloting the Gundam?" The fucking things explode. He gets sucked out into space, and it's again, it's just like a quick two shots that that happens. Damn. Yeah. So that's fucked up. And then Amuro realizes, oh, like, because there's one more Zaku two left that he is to fight because I think Slender has run away by this point, and so he's like, "Oh, well, like, I need to defeat the, I need to destroy this Zaku, but I can't just blow it up, or the whole space colony might just rip apart like all the atmosphere. I love this out. part, yes, because he has to, he starts reasoning, and then he has this very like strategic thing where he's just going to stab through the cockpit and yes. get the guy. Great so, shot, yeah, in great shot and great moment. But there's something about that, and there's this great lingering shot after Amro pulls it off, and he just like stabs through the cockpit, and it's just this shot that hangs on Amro's face with like black in the background, like it doesn't even look like he's in the cockpit anymore, just like zooming in on his his face because the like this is something that I love that this show does that a lot of mecha shows sometimes fail to do is keep in mind that, like, the violence that is committed is ultimately violence against people. Mm -hmm. So when you blow up one of those fucking things, a person has died. And one of the things that this show does immediately is say, like, no, like, Amuro can't just get away with, oh, I just blew up the machine, I don't have to think about it. He has to do, like, a specific directed attack to kill the pilot of that mobile suit without destroying the mobile suit. He has to kill the person, not the weapon, because the person, that's the problem, that it's the person he needs to take take out. And that's, again, when I say, like, this episode um, sort of establishes the fundamental principles of this real robot hard sci-fi version of the mecha genre, and it lays out every single step along the way, that's, to me, like, the last important thing it needs to do is make that connection of that it's not G.I. Joe and the helicopter blows up and you see, like, the guy with the parachute, you know, fall out or whatever. It's like, no... It's not just about blowing up the weapon. You have to kill the soldier. Like, that's how you yes. win the battle. That's how you're safe. And that's why it is such an impactful shot, is it is... Because it, it's literally a stab to the heart. It's a yeah. very precise kill shot. 
and it is it is symbolically the heart of the robot, but the heart of the robot is the person. Yeah. So he's killing the person. Yes. I, I think it's 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 very impactful visual storytelling. Yeah. So and and that's basically where this first episode ends. Zonro defeats that um all that shit. Slender gets away to warn Shar. Um and then at the end of this episode you get uh, a classic, super iconic line that Char has that, that all the fan base loves of these is like you don't you like no one ever wants to admit the mistakes of their own youth. Um, as he looks over and realizes how much he has underestimated the situation. Yes, it's a really good first episode. It's such a good first fucking episode, Jonathan. It's it's great. What do you think of the ending song for this series? I love the ending song, the Amuro Kurimukanahide. Yeah, it's. Uh, I always have to watch all the way through every single episode. I oh, never yeah. skip it because it's so good. It's it's totally in that tradition. Not all anime do this of having the very kind of sappy ending song yeah. as the complement to the very peppy opening song. Um, and it's a good sappy ending song. Yeah, but like the lyrics of the song also like are so tragic because it's all about like Amuro, like you're a man, you can't show people your tears. Like this yeah. basically what the guy's singing about. It's like God, this is fucked up. Um, yeah, that and then also you have because um, I, I I love the Gundam narrator for the first show and he has. There's a sign off at the end of like the next on preview of all these where he says, which is like, will you be able to survive the next episode? It's like, it's good. It's very good. This is also the era where next episode previews aired before credits, not after. Yes. That would happen in like the late 90s. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of prefer it this way. Yes, there's something fun about the, you get the next on and then you get the, yeah, the sappy. Oh, oh, it's very good. <laughs> so yes. let's, let's talk about episode two then, Jonathan. What's the, the first episode is like got dis, is something Gundam and then the second oh. one is Destroy Gundam. Yeah, it's Gundam Rising or or um, as Ten Shinhan tells us, Gundam Taichi ni Tuts, which which uh, Captain Bright is the one who always tells us. He yells at us the the titles of each episode. Nice. All right, so yes, now we have Destroy Gundam, and yeah, this is the one where Shar uh, comes out onto the battlefield, and and it feels like in some ways Shar is the center of this second episode. Yeah. If Amuro was the first episode's protagonist or center, this one is all Char-motivated, making the decisions, how are we going to fight this thing, ultimately loses in this episode. But yeah. I like that we shift just a little bit, and he's like our centerpiece of this one. Yeah, because episode two really has two jobs that it accomplishes. Because it's kind of split in two halves. One half, as you're identifying, is the Char stuff, because Char is a really central character of the show. He's going to be very important um, for a long time to come. So we get our first sort of look at him as our antagonist but then also um yeah you don't get much Amuro stuff until the end when he fights Char really most of the other half of the episode is us establishing and getting a look at who is going to be our ensemble that are going to ultimately be the crew of the white base so the because the Earth Federation wasn't just working on a prototype mobile suit they were also working on a prototype uh warship which we now know as the white base um and and that's where we get so episode two does a lot of work of like kind of place setting where the show goes from here and it's one of the reasons why i wanted to do the first two episodes kind of as a pair is because after this point is where it gets more like a here's this episode and it's totally its own thing and it's just kind of have normal episodes of gundam past this point um but yeah so this episode a lot of the stuff early on you get this sense of oh like everything is fucked almost all the adults are dead and we're just kind of scrambling getting all these kids together um, so you have characters like um, this because I don't even know if they've said all their names yet. But you have Ryu, um, who was the one who's the kind of larger guy. He at the end of the episode, he's the one piloting the core fighter. He's also with the captain of the white base, 
of like trying to man those guns when they explode and the captain gets injured. I love the captain in this episode, yes. by the way. Great character. Yeah, the captain's so good is that like he, he gets injured at the beginning of the episode and throughout the rest of it's just like no, like we have to trust that Amuro kid because we have no choice and he's kind of trying to guide everything while he's like slowly dying. He's basically. slowly dying and he just keeps getting handed like impossible shitty decisions and just trying to like figure out the best path so they can survive another ten minutes. Yes, so yeah, you have the captain kind of guiding all this. We have Fraubo has made her way onto the ship and you have that really good moment at the beginning of the episode where um, there's she's trying to get all these like evacuees onto the white base and there's this big explosion and the Gundam hand comes down and protects her and that's when Amuro enters the episode at the beginning but so yeah so we have Fraubo who's Amuro's childhood friend trying to get everything together um, then you have uh, Hayato is also on the ship he's like the little looking guy who he was also at the beginning of episode one um, hanging out with Fraubo yeah. a little bit uh, then you, you meet Sela, who she's one of our main characters for this episode as well. She's the blonde woman who, um, her and Frabo are the ones who go out to go to look for any other survivors. And when they start to do that, they run into Kai Shiden, who's the sort of like lang- lanky, like shifty looking dude that Sela just slaps immediately and calls him a coward. He's, that's a great scene. Yeah, that's a great thing. Kai is good. Um, and it's just like a really good, like all these characters get like one introduction scene. Um, obviously, like Sela gets a little bit more because... Like she has some some sort of mysterious relationship with Char, um, and but yeah, so like all those characters, and then of course Bright, who is our nineteen year old guy, who's like, I think he's technically maybe Ryu's probably a little bit older, but other than Ryu, who's who's a like tr- cadet in training, Bright is the only person there who's like really properly a, a part of the military, but he's like nineteen, doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's like, well, I have to take command of like it's like of all the people here I'm the only one who has any experience that's not you know lying on a bed like dying or like you know having to like crawl over and like try to show someone how to use the comp panels because they weren't trained to do it but like I'm almost dead um so yes that's kind of our main sort of ensemble crew of characters that this episode um introduces I liked all of them I could not tell you most of their names yet but it has also been like one episode with them yes and as you say many of them maybe don't even have names spoken aloud yet. Yeah, I don't think anyone says Kai's name um, in this episode. I don't think anyone says Ryu's name either. Yeah, and, and that's fine. It's two episodes. Yeah. There's 43. There's a lot more time. I will get to know them. They all make very strong first impressions. And again, like at this point, other than I would say Amuro, Shar, Fraubo, some of the ones who make really big impressions, it's less about individual characters than it is sort of setting the stage, getting a sense of the scope of this thing, the movement of this thing, and then I assume it'll settle down and we'll get to know people. Yeah. But like, this is all about getting us into the action, and it does that very, yeah. very well. And, and so the, most of the action of the first part of the episode is Sela and Fraubo driving around trying to find any survivors while uh, Amuro is going to use that super napalm thing to blow up, to destroy all the... Uh, I all... love the term super napalm <laughs> and that it is also just super napalm. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think super napalm ever comes up again. Okay. It's, it's just a very convenient, like, uh, we need to... What, what are they going to use to destroy the, the other Gundam parts? Uh, super napalm? I no, don't no, know. no. Well, they could use some napalm. That's too boring. Yeah. Super napalm. Yeah, because no, napalm shouldn't be able to destroy the Gundam. The Gundam's super powerful. Okay, we have super napalm. Um, oh, one other thing I want to point out, another thing about it, because it's one of, it was a scene that I really, or not actually like a moment I really loved the first time I watched it was um, near the beginning of the episode, like a, the the hull of the white base gets pierced by something, and one of the officers like goes over to a I, switch on the wall, pulls a switch, and this like bubbly gel stuff comes out, and because the atmosphere is leaking, it just goes to where the gash is and seals it, 
So good. I love it. There's, there's so many little world building and like technical things like that where it feels like someone thought through how they would fix this little situation and made a very kind of nerdy like solution to it that they could draw and put into yeah. the episode. That feels always very plausible. Like, yes. like I because I remember the first time I saw that, I just went, how have I never seen like how is that not a thing on like Star Trek or something? Like that just seems like such a smart, like scientific, like engineering kind of way of approaching, well, how do we fix the like the problem of the atmosphere leaking. Well, let's make this like gel that hardens that will just like because all the atmosphere is leaking, it just goes to it. We're it's in zero G. It'll just float. It's not that far off from the way astronauts in actual like the world fix holes on a space station. Like exactly. it's either usually like they have to do it manually, but it's duct tape or foam or something that will harden and like cover that. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. So lots of little good world building details that I'll try to remember to point them out as I see yeah. them because there's. there's Gundam in particular has such a great way of dealing with being in zero G and being in a vacuum on which because so much of the shows take place in space and I love all those details. Can I also say another scene I really liked? Yeah, go ahead. So there's the scene where Sela meets Char and Char yes. takes off his head, which is we have not seen Char's face until this point or his hair yeah. or anything. That's an interesting scene, but there's a moment after that I think where I, th- I think it's Sela involved in this where Amuro comes in into Gundam and like offers his hand and she has to yes. be in there. Yeah, That's because a fantastic yeah. sequence. Yeah, they're by the wreckage of some Gundam material. Yeah, so another one thing, another thing, so I have this said, one thing I love is always when you get the sense of like relative scale of mech stuff. And this scene accomplishes that as well. Another thing I love is anytime they manage to find a way to use the mech in a useful way that has nothing to do with fighting. And it gives you that sense of like, it's just this big kind of tool. Um, so yeah, like him having to lower the hand and her getting in it and him just like having to slowly close the hand. is like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And like lifting her up. Yeah, like the attention and the, the fact that the show sort of stops and shows that scene instead of just kind of cutting past it is another way to kind of ground all the technology in something more like tangible. And it's character building for Amaro, I think. Yeah. That it's a very like thoughtful thing he's doing where like the mech is not driving him power mat you know yeah. and I love it because it's also one thing I love about this episode is how like polite everybody is to one of in that very Japanese way of like Amuro using very polite language it's one of the things that when Kai shows up and he's just like talking like this like thug that's like, the one of the reasons Sayla slaps him is because everybody else is like being very respectful and like we have to take care of the situation we're going to get through this together and he's like hey man what's up guys and it's like fuck off like why would you be so disrespectful I'm just going to slap you motherfucker we do not have time to be assholes right now yeah it's like let's get the shit done so yeah that's that's a good moment um, another really good moment sort of in that area is when Frabo is going around and she's on like the speakerphone being like, are there any, like anyone here, um, like come over, like we'll evacuate you. And then she sees her house and like, hears some, like a fandom, like, like, Hey, Amaro, hey. And they like, give her and Amaro playing around in like her mom's voice. And she sort of starts tearing up and then she immediately gets back on the, the megaphone and starts calling for more people. I, you know, one of my favorite things in sci-fi stories is when you have capable people doing good work. Yes. It's one of the reasons I love Star Trek The Next Generation. It's just a crew of people who are good at their jobs, and you watch them be good at their jobs. And and this is also, I'm like, I already can tell these people are good at what they do. They're not fucking around. That's why they hit that dude. Yes. Like, we're going to be competent here. I like it. Yes, it's very good. Um, so, yeah, I think that's most of the stuff to talk about, the like kind of the good guys side of the episode. So let's talk about... Let's talk about my boy, because we kind of talked around him a little bit. Let's talk about Char as novel, the Red Comet himself. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a ton to say about Char yet, because you can already tell this is a character who is going to blossom in a million different directions. Yeah. Both because you've told me that, and also just I feel like 
obviously, duh. Yeah. It's it's like meeting Darth Vader or something. Uh-huh. It's like there's more to this guy than meets the eye. But what meets the eye is really fucking cool because that character design and that weird little winged hat he wears yeah. and those like it's like a fucking like little Batman mask he's got on. Yeah. And and the voice, the voice is yeah. Yeah, it's I, a good character. Yeah, the Shuichi Ikeda, who's the voice of Char, it's one of my favorite, just most favorite vocal performances in anything. It's so and like and and he's not even like fully come into it yet in the first show. It's like once he gets a little bit older and he's in the sequels, like oh my god. But yeah, like every every line he just he just savors every single syllable he gets to say, and it's just you you because the thing with Char is that he is like the, the part of the core of the character is the sort of like mystery of like who the fuck is this guy like he's why is he standing around like with this weird helmet and this mask and like nobody else is dressed the way that he's dressed I love that like everything he has has to be red for whatever reason so he's got a red fucking space suit and when you, when you meet his custom Zaku his Zaku is painted red um, but yeah he just has this like mysterious really like charismatic presence to him and and yeah, I like all. I love all the stuff of him infiltrating um, the colony, and he's taking pictures, and he has this mysterious encounter with Sela, where he's like, "Oh, he looks like her, but it couldn't be. Artesia is not that strong." And it's like, "What the fuck are these people talking about? I have no idea." Um, obviously, we'll find out what's going on. It's the kind of thing that makes me want to watch more, though, because yeah. it's it's a really good setup that again does not. It doesn't feel like the episode is stopping to tease you. Yeah, no, it's it's setting up a little, like a nice bigger subplot um, that yeah. we'll we'll obviously pick up on as we go through the series. And and Shar, correct me if I'm wrong, he's not the ultimate like leader of this group, right? No. So you do get one. I think it's in this episode you get the scene where he calls um, Dozel Zabi. So so the the principality of Zeon is controlled by the Zabi family. Um, that there's a number of different characters we'll meet. One of them, Garma. Um, there's a lot of stuff with Garma next uh, in the next bunch of episodes. But Dozel, Admiral Dozel, sort of is Shar's commanding officer. He's the big guy that Shar calls to get resupplies. So yeah, so Shar is he's a lieutenant commander. I think is his rank. So he's like controlling the ship and he's an ace pilot. But he is not like one of like the leading figures of Zeon. He's just like this really capable soldier yeah. that's in command of his own ship. Which I like. I like that positioning for him. You mentioned the resupply scene. I, that is one of the best... For just like building Char's personality. Yeah. That whole scene where he orders the resupplies. The, the commanding officer is kind of shocked at how much he's calling for. And Char really doesn't give an inch. And then he hangs up the phone and is like... Alright, we're going to go attack. And they're like... What? You just ordered all these supplies. Like, we don't have time to wait for that shit. Yeah, it's like Lieutenant Slender, you escaped from that space colony, correct? And it's like, yes, sir. Well then, shouldn't we be able to do the direct opposite? And he smiles and it's like, fucking I love you, Char. You're so good. And then you grab your fucking red spacesuit. Uh But really, I mean, again, economic storytelling, the on the phone with command, seeing how he you know integrates all that, very practical thinker, but then it's like but yeah, we're going to go attack right now because we can. And you know, it's yeah. it really is a good showcase for that personality. Yes, and so yeah, so he goes in, he gets all those pictures. Um, I love the scene where um, Amuro and Sela are going up into the white base's hangar, um, and the door opens up. So Char just like slips through with his jetpack, and he's just this like little like sleazy motherfucker just flying through everyone. Every I love like like Captain Bright gets the I guess he's not Captain yet, but Bright gets the call. And he's like a there's a a Zeon soldier has is like in the hangar like everybody grab guns we have to take that dude out so you just get the shot of like everybody grabbing a fucking rifle and getting on the deck of the ship and just trying to shoot this dude as he's flying through they end up destroying his camera so Shard can't get the proof of all the the stuff that he's seen 
on back to base. But yeah, then they all go out into open space to fly back to their ship. And then you get that great moment where Amro goes out in the Gundam. He gets the beam rifle. Um, you also get all the stuff here of where they where Bright realizes that the person in the Gundam is a kid, and it's just like, what? Okay, I guess I guess he's the only person that can do it. So I guess we'll just let you do it. But this is messed up. Um, so, Again, it's those moment to moment decisions of like, no one's saying you're going to be in that thing forever, but we've got something opening right now. Literally no one else can do it. It's very tense. Yeah, so go grab a beam rifle and get out there. And, and then Amra is trying to aim with the beam rifle, but he can't shoot it. And it's like that great, like, his aim is wavering and he's breathing really heavy. And again, like, flop sweaty Amro in the cockpit. And then this nice, like, like overlay of a close-up on his sweaty face with the image of Char, like, floating away in space as he's trying to aim at him. And you realize, like, Amro can't just... Like, yeah, he can take out the cockpit of Zaku, but you can't just shoot like a person that's just a like unarmed person out in space. Also um, assuming that that beam rifle would, there would be nothing left of yes, the person. It would just completely vaporize them. Yeah. So he just starts firing wildly. And this is another good bit of characterization with Char where he stops and is like, no man, don't move. Like humans are a small target. They're not easy, they're that easy to hit. Um, and so good. I just, the, the confidence of Char and everything he does is so good. Um, and this is then where you get the, the big fight scene where Shark comes out with the Zaku, uh, his, his custom red Zaku. You get that great moment where the um, two guys who are like up in like the crow's nest or whatever it is in the, um, the control room of the white base like are reading the radar or whatever. And they say, oh, we have something approaching. This can't be. It's moving three times as fast as a Zaku. And that's where the, I think it's the, the, the captain of the ship who's like on his like, you know, sick bed is like, oh. <gasps> That means it's the Red Comet Char. And Bryce's like, what? The Red Comet Char? And then it does that great anime thing where, like, the colors wash out and become, like, negative or whatever. As like, everyone's like, it's the Red Comet. Um, and you just get this immediate sense of, oh, this, like, he's... Because this is, like, the character is based on, like, vaguely, like, the Red Baron from World War One of, like, everybody knows who this guy is. He took out, like, five capital ships at the Battle of Loom. Oh, my God. It's the Red Comet Char. Amuro, get the fuck back here. You can't fight this guy. Um, but yeah, so then Amuro and Char have their, their brief duel in space. Um, and, and Char has Amuro completely outclassed, except for Char just can't do anything to him. Like, he, yeah. he hits the Gundam multiple times, and the Gundam is completely unfazed. And I love that sense of Char slowly realizing, this is ridiculous. Like, how are we supposed to be able to take this thing out? Like, it doesn't matter how good a pilot you are. This Gundam thing is just too powerful. It's really interesting to me. There is... Um, in, in a lot of the scholarship I've done on Hayao Miyazaki, he has a quote from, it would be the early 80s, so it would be a few years after Gundam, but like in the, the time where like mecha anime is very big. Yeah. And he has this quote about how much he hates mecha anime because Hayao Miyazaki is an infamous grump. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's talking about, I will have to read it. I do not have the book with me. It's at my apartment in Iowa. So when I'm back next week, I'll read it on next week's episode. But he says, and I assume he's talking more about the super robot kind of mecha anime because what he's talking about is this. He hates that, like, these kids just get these robots that they didn't even build and now they're superheroes. He says, that doesn't show kids having any effort. The best kind of mecha would be if he has to build it on his own and learn how to use it on his own and then he achieved something it's such a Hayao Miyazaki uh-huh. quote that's not exactly what Gundam is doing but I do find it interesting that it's it's not falling into the trap Miyazaki is laying out there because it is like Amuro 
like it's very conscious of the fact that Amuro is being protected by this robot and it's not his own skills saving him yet. Yeah. And if he's going to become a real hero in this situation, he's gonna to have to work for it. And I assume that's gonna be much of the arc of the series. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a big part of his character arc is coming to understand how to like to be skillful in his own right and not just have to rely on the the power of the, the machine. So it, it definitely made me think of that while watching this because it's 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 totally questioning those tropes. Yes. And yeah. it's because again, the bi- first big confrontation between hero and villain is the villain totally kicks his ass except for the fact that his dad built a really strong robot yeah like like shard like if shard just had a weapon that was worth a damn against the gundam he would have won that fight in like three fucking seconds yes because because is just like firing wildly and he has no idea he's just like oh god this is so this is what a battle's like oh shit and and shard's just completely outmaneuvering him but he does get off that one shot with the beam rifle um that takes out slender um, rest in peace, Slender. You made two whole episodes. Amuro has killed three people. Yes, Amuro has already killed three people, and and yeah, the one shot with the beam rifle completely vaporizes that fucking Zaku. And, and I love that. Like everyone's just like Ichigeki Day, just like in one shot. Oh my god, like one shot, and that's where Char. There's this great little like sort of dramatic irony there of, of that was actually the last shot because Amuro had been firing so wildly despite uh, Bright warning him like don't just fire like crazy like you'll run out of energy. Amuro does run out of energy he fires his last shot that one happens to get slender but Char obviously doesn't again this like sense of like the, the the importance of information in war is so big in Gundam it's like he has no idea of that so he just falls back immediately not realizing that the Gundam can't really do anything to him anymore because he's just like I, no one can deal with that level of firepower that's a like battle class level fucking battleship level beam cannon on a fucking mobile suit I'm going to we need to regroup and refigure this shit out um, it, yeah, that whole sequence, just like and just the editing of the fight, like I think the it's true of all of Mobile Suit Gundam is just the sense of direction and editing um, is so strong um, that that there's no they don't have any filler stuff in the fights. There's no just like a, oh there's like a punch that misses like every single attack feels meaningful and purposeful from like a storytelling perspective. If, even if obviously like Amro's attacks are not purposeful in the sense that he knows what he's doing. But the sequence feels choreographed in this very intelligent way um, and, that's, and, that's really effective. And you can feel them working a little bit with the limits of animation and budget. Yeah. But it's a very effective use of it in that it's, it's a couple of moves. It's not this like super fast fluid thing you would get with digital animation today. But everything has impact. They're like they're putting their money where their mouth is on this. Of like, If we're going to do a move, we're going to make it count. And it makes it very... For me, at least, engaging to watch. Yeah, it's, yeah. You just don't have any sort of wasted time in the battles. Everything feels like it's being done purposefully, which is which is great. So then you have the end of the episode where Amuro comes back um, to the white base, and and I love this ending where he comes back on board. Um, Bright has basically taken command because the I think the captain is actually passed out at this point, and Bright just comes up to him and Bright's like you rely too much on the machine and Amuro's like what the what the fuck are you talking about like if you're you're the only person who can do this if you're going to do it you're going to need to learn to do it well and Amuro's like I can't promise to do anything like I will do my best but I can and it's just like this it sets up the character arc and the dynamic between Bright and Amuro where you know I've obviously said it multiple times now where Bright becomes the captain of the ship at some point Amuro is the lead pilot um that there's this tension between the two of them where Amro did not fuck it like like Bright's a part of the military. Amro's not a soldier. He didn't sign up for this shit. And so that tension of Bright needs Amro to do what Bright needs him to do, but Amro does not want to be a soldier. He does not want to go out fighting. He doesn't want to go out killing people, but he's the only one who knows how to use the Gundam at this point. 
so he has to do it and I love the way that that last scene and that tension between the two of them um how that sets up all like what are like big character arcs and story arcs that that we will see as we move on to the the subsequent episodes awesome so that's probably it for this week yeah yeah it's a good start Gundam's real fucking good it is I'm excited to watch more uh, next time on this bonus podcast, Weekly Suit Gundam. Yes, Weekly Suit Gundam. We will be talking through episode what, Sean? Um, so we'll be doing episodes 3 through 13. So we'll have some... some we'll, so we're heading towards Luna 2, which is a big mining asteroid that's in the orbit of the moon. Um, and, and then eventually we'll meet Garma Zabi, and that's sort of what this arc will be about. And just for people looking ahead, so we'll be doing episodes 3 to 13 for the next episode. The one after that will be episodes 14 through 25. Um, the one after that will be 26 through 38. And then our final episode... Um, where we'll do the last five episodes, 39 through 43, and then we'll also do, like, wrap-up stuff, look back on the whole series and, and talk about it for that one. But yeah, yeah. sure, it'll be five episodes in total, including this one. Um, the plan, roughly, is that we'll put them out bi-weekly, but if we're going faster than that, they might come out faster than yeah. that. It'll be done by the end of the summer. Yeah, it mostly depends on the pace that you watch them by, Jonathan. Because I might just binge a lot and then hit, like, 13 and be like... Fuck, I want to watch more Let's Podcast, Sean. If you want to do that, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. like, like I because I will probably not watch rewatch every single episode because I just watched them again very recently. I'll okay. just like pick the best ones and, and yeah. watch through those. I'm very excited to talk about episode 13 because that one is, is is especially good. Nice, and I am excited to do this project. I think it's a fun. This this is a good summer tradition. I think we're starting like the Doctor Who stuff last year. Yeah. We can do this. Um, I think we've got a good title in Weekly Suit Gundam. <laughs> Weekly Suit Gundam. Yeah, and who knows? Like you said, if this is something we want, we could do this forever. If we need to, because there's, turns out there's a lot of Gundam. There's a lot of Gundam out there. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Will you be able to survive? Survive.